discipleship is life. It is that transfer of life uh, that is necessary since we were born in our trespasses and sin. We need life. On this episode of General Order 4, we'll be finishing our discussion on how Christ modeled life of discipleship. Here are a few clips to recap. Jesus is our example of how to disciple from the very essence of who he is and what he did. How was Christ sent? What did he do when he was here? The bulk of the work, duration-wise, was spent on 12 guys. The call of Christ is a call to be with him. And I think it's important that we teach in, in discipleship an emphasis on this new baby Christian's life that, hey, this calling to salvation, he didn't save you just to save you. He saved you so that you'd be with him. What a wonderful thing that, that the God of heaven who created us, knowing what best way we learn, he actually demonstrated discipleship for us in the very person of Christ. He shows us what his purpose was and why he was here, and that was to spend time with man so that man could experience life. But these were people that he was investing himself in day in and day out, day in and day out. And, uh, and the whole purpose of that was that was his ministry. Those 12 men were his ministry. Talking about bearing fruit, you can't even do that properly unless you've been with Christ. Christ modeled that, I think, in his own in his own ministry with his disciples. He didn't give them things they weren't ready for. Until they were ready for it, he brought them along. He pruned out things in their life. And when they were ready to hear it, he gave it to them. Jesus, he came, he discipled the 12. Then they were to disciple others. They were to disciple others. And we see that in the model with Paul and Timothy. But we see that also here with Christ giving the disciples this understanding. They didn't get that from thin air. They got that teaching from Christ and it was modeled by Christ that ministry is really sharing of life. And it's not my life, but it's the life that I now live in Christ. And it's really the life of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And now the conclusion of the episode. verse 7 in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Notice it's his, he wants his words to abide in us. And that's mm-hmm. when we can glorify the Father and that's when we can bear much fruit. And so the whole process of discipleship or ministry is to get the words of Christ and the words of God into individuals who need life. That's what leading somebody to Christ is all about, is leading them to the source of life. And then also when they do accept, then leading them to the source of continued to to dwell and abide in Christ. And how do we do that? And so there has to be intentionality, just like Christ was very intentional in the way he approached ministry here on earth. Yeah, and he in in Christ didn't softball things. Um, you know, if you actually read the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> one of the first addresses he gives to those men, he's not softballing them. He's giving them hard truth, but he's not diving 
deep into things that may or may not be extremely clear from scripture. You know, mm-hmm. he's giving them things that are very clear from scripture. They're hard truths. Some of them may not have wanted to hear what he had to say, um, but they were hard truths, but they were bottom shelf things. They were things that were reachable easily for every one of those men. And then you get to the all that discourse at the end of his ministry. And that's much more deep. That's much more you know, he still teaches, Christ still teaches in such a, in a beautiful way that it's easy for everyone to understand, but that, the, the, the heaviness of the topic in the Olivet Discourse is a whole nother ball game compared to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, most people would say the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever, ever given, and I, I think that's probably true, um, but the Olivet Discourse is, is a much more in-depth and deep discourse, and the reason for that is that he'd brought those men to the point to where they could understand it and they could process it. And, you know, we, we have to do the same thing. They're at the point where they're about ready to start bearing much fruit. They're there. They've been bearing fruit. They've already been out. They've already been preaching. They've been, you know, and when it says preaching, it's really talking about sharing the gospel. I mean, there's no sermons recorded for us by these men at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But they've been out. They've been sharing the gospel. They've been pointing to people to Jesus. Um, You know, maybe some of them have even begun instructing people. Um, but they're, they're at the, the fruit bearing phase. They're at the more fruit bearing phase, I think. And they're about ready to go into the much bearing fruit phase once, once they receive the Holy Spirit, um, in Acts. And then the church explodes and that discipleship process really begins. Um, but they couldn't get to that point until someone had taken them from being baby Christians to, to adulthood. And they were they were about ready to be there, and that's why he's now you know he's he's willing to give them more truth. And the fathers were still working on pruning things out of their life, you know. Um, we, Peter's about to deny Christ, and then you know the the father's going to have to come in and prune some things out of Peter's life. But when he does that, that's when Peter really takes off. Um, but all of the the whole process of Christ's model is that he knew where these men were. He like you said, he was intentional. Mm-hmm. He knew where the men were. He knew where they were spiritually. When they were babes, he didn't teach them things they couldn't understand. And when they were getting closer and closer and closer to adulthood, he began to teach them things that were deeper and were more intentional, um, things that they would need to know in the coming days when he was going to was going to be killed and was going to rise from the dead and be ascended into heaven. And he began to teach them things as they needed to know them. Um, and his, his life was marked by discipleship those three and a half years of ministry were three and a half years of bringing those 12 men along um you know and as we've discussed one of them's a traitor and christ christ essentially replaces him with paul um but he brings those men along and um and really that fruit bearing process it requires a lot of commitment it required a lot of commitment on christ's end and as a discipler you and I, and you know those those who are listening who commit themselves to discipling believers as Christ intended, uh, it's going to be a lot of work, and we're going to have to spend time with people. We're going to have to know where they are, who they are, where they're at uh, spiritually speaking. Are they a babe in Christ? Are they growing? Or are they not growing? And you know, like you said on the last episode, we can only tell uh, on, from an earthly standpoint, looking from the outside in, where they're at. Mm-hmm. So you you might end up with a few Judases. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the most of the time you can tell where people are by how they act, what they say, but it requires commitment, but it also requires commitment on the end of the person who is, who, who is being discipled. Um, look with me in Mark 
quickly in Mark chapter 10, we have an instance where uh, a young man that we, we tend to refer to uh, in churches, maybe we need to come up with a better name for this guy, but um, <laughs> we call him the rich young ruler. And in Mark chapter number 10, in verse number 17, uh, he comes and he says, he's gone forth into the way and there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may ha- inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing who this guy is, because he's God and he knows everything, um, he says, why callest thou me good? There's none good, but and that is God. Um, in other words, he's making sure this man understands that he's God. Can I interrupt um, for a second? Notice he's searching for what? He's asking, hey, how can I get life? Right. Life. That's what we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Is, is really he wants eternal life, which is the only source is God for that. Right. And Jesus starts at the gospel. That's why he says there's none good but one that is God. So this man has to acknowledge that he's God first before anything else in his life can transpire. Correct. Um, and then it says, Thou knowest the commandments, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not or do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And the young man answers and says he's done all of that, which is a bit of a prideful answer. Um, and then Jesus, because he knows the man, says one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. The point of that is not to say that we all need to give everything we have away in order to follow Christ. The point of that is to say this man loved his stuff more than he loved Christ. Um, that's what Jesus was getting at when he's talking to this man. But then he says, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. What an extraordinary offer. I mean, the, the, this young man is given the opportunity to be disciple 13 in essence. He says, come, take up the cross and follow me. And I can, you know, if you look further in the passage, you can prove that point when Peter says in verse number 28, then Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Hmm. Now, Peter follows that up with a silly question. What shall we have therefore? But um, that's in another, in another place where the same story is recorded. But, um, but Peter is saying he's confirming something for us. There is a commitment here to following Christ. There was a commitment to being discipled. The commitment for Peter to being discipled by Christ was that everything and anything that wasn't Christ had to be left behind. Um, now we, you know, you can prove from Scripture in another place that Jesus, uh, there, excuse me, that Peter was married because he had a he had a mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> so it's not like he left his family. It's not like he left. You know everybody behind and, and abandoned the people that he loves. That's not what they, we're talking about here. Um, but Peter was saying in in literal, in very literal terms, we've abandoned all for Jesus Christ. That's that's a that's a large bar that's being set. In order to be a disciple of Christ, you have to be willing to abandon everything. Whatever Christ wants is His, and and then that's that's the bar that's set. There's a commitment here. And I think often when we dumb down discipleship and we no longer make it a life of discipleship, we make it a course, a class, a a book. When we dumb it down like that, it's no longer a commitment. It's no longer something that's going to take effort on the part of the person who's learning. To Um, interrupt here, uh, that phrase, take up thy cross, I think really illustrates that for us in what Christ says here. Because when a man in that day would take up a cross... What he was resigning himself to was ultimate death. I mean, there was nothing left in life to live because why? I If I take up that cross and I, I take it to its fullest conclusion, 
I'm going to die. There's only one thing that yeah, happened across. It, it was an agonizing, uh, not a pretty death. And so the commitment he's calling us to here, like you said, he's not throwing softballs to this guy, trying to get him to, you know, you'll you'll have a lot of fun or you'll you'll you know I'll I'll give you a lot of blessings or whatever. He's saying no, you need to commit to this life of following me. And so discipleship, like you're saying, is God's calling us to what a com- a lifelong commitment that really just says to the flesh, I'm going to reckon my flesh to be dead indeed unto sin. That's what he's talking about here. And he's referencing as, hey, we're not going to live for the temporal or for the carnal or for the vain anymore, but I'm going to live my life for and through Christ. Yeah. I can't think of the scripture, um, the the reference off the top of my head, but Paul says, um, for we reckon that if, if, if one died for all, then we are all dead. Um, and the life that I now live, I live under Christ, essentially. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but Paul is saying, look, I don't have my life anymore. I gave that to Christ. I have Christ's life in me. And again, that transfer of life that takes place in the process of discipleship is a person is saved. And they're saved. That's great. This rich young ruler lacked that because he wasn't willing to do what was necessary in order to follow Christ. Um, but he, he was willing to acknowledge that Christ was God. You know, he, he was at that point. So whether this rich young ruler was was specifically a believer or not, I'm not sure. Um, but there's at least some evidence that he had some belief in, in God and in Jesus that he was God um, because he calls him good. And Jesus makes a point to, to point that out. But he wasn't willing to do what was necessary to be a disciple and again, there that is, there's, there's, a, there's a dividing line between who a believer is and who a disciple is. Um, when, when the Apostle Paul is saved in Acts, the, the following passage, if you continue to read that story after Ananias goes and finds him and all of that, you have the same thing. It says that Paul joined himself to the disciples. Hmm. Now, earlier in that passage, it said that there were believers in that place. That's why Paul was going to do the persecution. It calls them believers. But after Paul is saved, it doesn't say that he joined himself to the believers. It says he joined himself to the disciples. Hmm. Whose disciples are those? Well, they're not Jesus' disciples. Jesus has already died and, and, and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So he's not there to disciple them. These these are not Jesus' disciples in Antioch. These are, or Damascus, I'm sorry. These are, these are somebody else's disciples. These are disciples of Christ, obviously, but they're not being trained by Christ directly. They're being trained by somebody else. There's a lifestyle here and it's a commitment and it's something that you have to commit yourself to. Paul, when he decided to be a disciple, he could have been a secret believer Mm -hmm. and been just fine. Uh, But he wasn't a secret believer. He decided to be a disciple and he became a target. It was something that he had to give up everything in order to be a disciple of Christ. So it is a commitment. Notice what he says when he's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17 and following, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ. And so, again, discipleship is a process. Salvation is a a decision that I make. It's a moment in time where I put my faith and trust in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But the process that that initiates is what what God desires for us is to be a follower of him and so that discipleship is helping us to live that life. Mm-hmm. So he says if any man be in Christ he is what he is a new creature. Notice old things are passed away, 
behold, and he says this three-letter word, all things are become new. Kind of sounds like the that God gave us a wonderful illustration through Jesus's words uh, back in Mark chapter 10 of this rich young ruler that we talk about, this rich young man that would not follow Christ. Mm-hmm. He, he was demonstrating that he wasn't in Christ, that he was not a new creature because the old things were not passed away. He wouldn't give those up and everything about him did not become new. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds awful, um, almost overwhelming. But then again, when we're dead, what do we need? We need a total change. And that is from death to life and raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. And so that's what he, yeah, that's what he says here. Uh, that we we need to live what? We need to live how life is lived, and God is the only good example of that. And mm-hmm. uh, mankind, we have plenty of examples of how to live a dead life, a life of carnality, a life that, you know, because he says carnality leads to what? It leads to death. So in verse 18, he says, and all things are of God. That is a fantastic statement. Uh, all things, if I'm in Christ... I'm abiding in him. I'm with him. He's ordained me to be with him as one of his disciples, his followers. Then all things in my life are to be of God. Mm-hmm. They're not to be means of your me. Job is, it means your job is a ministry. That means your sports team is a ministry. That means your family is a ministry. Yep. That, that, you know, that's convicting. Everything is to be about his kingdom and about building his kingdom and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Why is that? Why is all of this? Well, he's reconciled us unto himself. How? Through or by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so once we have received salvation, that reconciliation with God, that separation that was between us and him with our spirit being dead, when his spirit regenerates us, in fact, he tells us in First uh, Corinthians that uh, when what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Uh, he has purchased us. He goes on in the next verse and says that our body and our spirit belong to God. That's what He bought. That's what He's reconciled to Himself. He lets us have our soul. Our soul is where we make our decisions. That's uh, a lot of times we might say to our uh, wife that I love you with all my heart. Uh, that's what we're saying. I love you with all of my soul, my decision-making uh, part of me. Your, your intellect, emotion, and will, right? Yeah, the, the part of me that makes me uh, who I am and makes you who mm-hmm. you are. But he says here, hey, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. And then in verse 19, he says, to wit that God was in Christ. So here God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, And here he gives us a bit of his desire. He doesn't want to impute our trespasses unto us and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So he doesn't want to impute people's trespasses. He wants to impute the righteousness of Christ on us, but it only happens when we put ourselves in in that position of confessing our sin, confessing that his death, burial, and resurrection will save us from that sin, and then believing that in our heart at the same time. And that puts us in this category of being in Christ. And then we have this opportunity to be a minister of reconciliation. And so ministry of reconciliation is another way to say discipleship. It's Mm -hmm. taking that life that Christ has 
put in me through his word and an understanding and a use of his word uh, to make decisions and to affect the way I live life so that my life is conforming to his image, which is the whole process of discipleship. Notice, and at the end of verse 19 there, he says he actually uses the phrase word of reconciliation. Yes, sir. So it's his word that uh, that produces what? That reconciliation. Remember in John 1, he introduced Jesus as what? The word. And the beginning mm-hmm. was the word. And so he is that word. He is that life. His words that are recorded for us in Scripture are those words that are life for us and those are truth. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes mm-hmm. to the Father but by me. And so when we are talking about discipling somebody, we're not talking about putting them through a course. We're not talking about checking off a box and giving them a certificate saying you've done this or you've done that. And it's a discipleship is a lifelong process of really the life of Christ being infused into my life. And the only way that's mm-hmm. going to happen is for everything about my life to now be all things are of God. I have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, hey, I'll take care of the rest. He's talking about meeting our needs there and not worrying. And that comes as a result of me, what? Really pursuing the life that God has for me in Christ. And that kind of goes back to John 15, where he says, hey, abide in me and I in you. Uh, Without me, you can do what? He says, nothing. It's mm-hmm. impossible to do anything of importance is what he's uh, insinuating there, sinu- insinuating there, that, hey, we can't do anything of importance that regarding life unless we do it in him. And then he gives us a wonderful, wonderful news in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. I mean, just stop and think about that. Before I was saved, I was a rebellious human being, rebelling against my creator. Without life, without eternal life, without a relationship and fellowship with the creator God of the universe, who I was Mm -hmm. created to have relationship with. Right. And now, because I've accepted Christ as my savior and because his words are in me and I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me, he gives me the privilege to be an ambassador for him. You know, in our politics in America, if somebody helps a person get to an office, especially the president, many times if there's a large contribution to that presidential run, that one of the rewards is that you get to be an ambassador for our country to that country. Mm -hmm. Think about what a privilege it is for you and I as citizens of heaven now, as believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Christ and disciples of Christ, as we get to be ambassadors of heaven for Christ here on earth, representing his interest, representing his truth and his word and teaching that and sharing that with others who have yet to learn what he has taught us. And now we get back to the Great Commission, which is what he's called us to do, teach every nation and then baptize them when they receive the gospel and then teach them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And so this ambassadorship is such a wonderful privilege that he calls us to. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, too, that in in verse number 20, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. 
Jesus said that, that, you know, that as the father sent him, even so send I you. And then he says, in, uh, um, <clears throat> as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In other words, this is what Christ would want us to do. That's, He's not here to say it to you. I'm here to say it to you. Yeah. In Christ's stead, I beseech you to be reconciled to God. That process, these are Christians he's writing to, too. So that process of reconciliation, you know, obviously these are Christian people. These are saved people. But he's constantly trying to, that reconciliation is a financial term. When you're reconciling something, you know, people don't do it so much now. But, um, you know, just, just a few years ago, you balanced a checkbook. You were reconciling the checkbook with what was in your account, right? That was the whole point. Uh, making sure that the bank did their part and that they were correct and that your your checkbook and the bank matched that that's correct. reconciliation um, the two accounts are 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 on the same level reconciling to god is being made perfect in jesus which we talked about on the last episode being that that that's what that's what the whole purpose of discipleship is that we can present someone perfect to jesus right we're reconciling them to god and i think it's interesting too that back up in verse number 18 it says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled to us, or it says, excuse me, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. We have the same job here on earth that Christ had. Obviously, we're not dying for men's sin. Correct. But the job that Christ performed while he was on earth was the job of reconciling people to God the Father, was to make yes. them more like God, make them more like Jesus Christ. And so that whole process of discipleship was had, had the exact same point that we talked about in the last couple of episodes, that we could make people conform to the image of Christ. That's kind of what he's talking about in verse 21 as well in Second Corinthians 5. And he kind of really gives us the process of reconciliation. How can we be reconciled? And it says, For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. And so he was sin in our place. Who knew no sin? Jesus was a sinless being. He had no sin in and of himself, but he was made to be sin for me and you and for us. And then notice the, the benefit of that that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so here's that term again, in Christ or in him. How is it that I have righteousness? It's because I have life in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that I get life. It's how I live. And so again, this whole process is the not, salvation is not a process. Salvation is a decision. But the process that comes after salvation is what? that we are made righteousness of God in him. We have the imputed righteousness. That's our position of righteousness. But then we have the process of sanctification that takes place. And that's what we're talking about when we have the privilege of taking these things. This ministry of reconciliation is reconciling us to that position that we have in Christ and us living out who we are and what we are mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. And if we don't know those things, that's where we'd have ministers to minister to us so that we know who we are in Christ and what we are in Christ. Right. So looking at Christ as a model for ministry, what we're saying in essence is that Christ had, had a model of ministry that was a life of discipleship. Everything that he did was for the purpose of training and teaching 
those specific men and, and people in general, even when Jesus Christ would preach, I mean, Jesus Christ did preach, but preaching was part of his ministry, but it wasn't his ministry. You know, I think often as a preacher and you're, you're a pastor and a preacher, we get the idea that our ministry is in a pulpit and that's just not true. The ministry doesn't take place in a pulpit. The ministry takes place in training and teaching individual people. And that's what Jesus spent his time and his ministry modeling for us was a life of discipleship. And the beautiful thing about that is that anyone can do that. You don't have to have a call to preach. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary or an evangelist or whatever title we want to use. You just have to be a Christian and have a relationship with Christ, a real relationship with Christ, and that you yourself are being discipled by Christ. And now you can take that model and apply it to your life and follow Christ's model of ministry. Every when you and I have talked about this, and, and, and perhaps we'll talk about it again sometime on the on the podcast. But every Christian is a minister, or ought to be a minister. Every member of the church ought to be a minister. That word minister is not re, is not reserved for preachers. Correct. That in fact, he said he ordained the twelve. He ordained all of them to be with him. And that he might send them out and do what? Do the work of the ministry is what he's talking about there in Mark, as you brought out earlier in the podcast. Yeah. So as a wrap, Christ's model of ministry was this, a life of discipleship. Thank you for joining us on this episode of General Order 4. Next week, we'll begin talking about how Paul also modeled a life of discipleship. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can reach us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com or on Twitter at generalorder4. Like, share, and subscribe.